Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. My name is Reverend Andrew Pfizer. I'm an elder in the the North Texas Conference here. And uh, I work for the Center for Missional Outreach. And for those of you who might be new to this whole Methodist Church thing, uh, we are a conference, a connectional church, wherein we have a bigger impact together than we would just by ourselves. Uh, we come together as the North Texas Annual Conference and the Center for Missional Outreach focuses on several things that are mission-related. Number one uh, is kind of a timely thing. Uh, We are really focused on organizing our response as a connectional church again uh, to the hurricane effects, uh, especially around Victoria and Rockport. Uh, Our goal that we've made together is to send about 300 mission teams over the next two years uh, to those areas to help with the rebuilding efforts. And we're focusing on those communities so that we can um, see the impact we're having in those two, two areas. And so if you're interested in that kind of work, uh, you know, please see me and uh, check out our website. I can show, show you that after worship. The other piece that we're working on is really having the back of congregations like yours that are engaged in their local communities and around the globe in missional efforts. Uh, Churches that want to do something innovative and maybe have a heart and a passion for something, but maybe just need to know a little bit extra about how do we do this. And so we're going to be pulling congregations together who uh, have similar ideas and uh, similar passions uh, so they can learn together. Uh, as they move forward for things like connecting with our local schools, uh, food pantries, uh, and connecting with groups that are in our communities. And part of that is the, uh, the work that I do with the zip code connection. Uh, for the past five years, we as the North Texas Conference have focused on two areas and said that we're going to uh, dive deep uh, for about a 10-year period from 2015 to 2015. Uh, 2025, and building relationships with two communities, one rural, one urban, Clarksville, Red River County to the north, and South Dallas Fair Park uh, to our south, to think about how we can work with communities that are uh, struggling uh, with generational poverty and big issues, um, and how we can walk alongside them and uh, assist them uh, as sisters and brothers in Christ. In Clarksville, Red River County, we've done some, been able to do some pretty amazing work with our friends there. Uh, we've uh, worked with prayers for students to assign a prayer for each and every student in the Clarksville Independent School District around the community. Counseling service in the uh, school and in the county. There is no licensed mental health professional in all of Red River County but there will be within a year, thanks to a grant from the Global United Methodist Church. Thank you for being a part of this church. 
We're working with Communities Unlimited, which is a partnership of the uh, Economic Development Corporation for the city to think, okay, now that all of these manufacturing companies left in the 90s, we still have gifts and still have opportunities. How can we, as a community, create a sustainability plan for ourselves so that we're not just relying upon outsiders uh, to do things? And we have the Hub Community Center, which we uh, started to be a center for the community. In South Dallas Fair Park, we started the South Dallas Fair Park Faith Coalition, 25 churches uh, that come together and create um, uh, their own agenda to work together in a community that has uh, roughly about 165 church churches in the community and about 50 nonprofits, all usually independently working <laughs> uh, without talking to one another. That's so we brought them together to make a bigger impact. And now, uh, as of last Sunday, we're partnering with Warren United Methodist Church, your sister congregation, there at the corner of Malcolm X and MLK, in the heart of South Dallas Fair Park, uh, to have their back as they become a ministry hub for and with and by uh, the community of residents of South Dallas Fair Park. It's incredible work that owes a lot to us being in ministry together as a global church. So thank you for being a part of this movement. When Pastor Chris um, asked me to, to fill in for him on this Sunday, he said, you know, we're doing this sermon series using Adam Hamilton's um, book and curriculum on these seven last words of Christ, thinking about these um, statements of Jesus from the cross. And, you know, I was very excited about it. It's like, wow, this is really going to be interesting. Um, and he said, okay, this is going to be the scripture that is meant for that Sunday. And, um, and I, I read it. Let me read it, read it with you. Listen now for God's word. This comes from the gospel according to John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Listen now with me. Meanwhile... Standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. The Word of God for the people of God. I had read this scripture, and um, I've got a confession to make. Um, I really didn't know what to do with it. I mean, there's some really exciting scriptures uh, around Lent and Advent, and this just... Um, it's not one of them. I, you know, I, you know, no offense to the gospel writers, no offense to anyone, but this just wasn't something that I just felt really compelling. There was, so I just, I've really wrestled with this. Um, and so at first glance, you know, I, I didn't know what to do with it. I, I went all, I Googled, you know, the scripture and figured out, okay, who's, who's preached on this before? Kind of what tack did they take? You know, I've looked at commentaries and like, 
there's not a whole lot of preaching help for this one. Um, this isn't in the lectionary. Uh, it doesn't touch this one. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking, and it sounds like there's a couple different tacks you can take. One is, uh, which a lot of people have done, is look how compassionate Jesus is. Here uh, on the cross, Jesus uh, exemplifies, manifests the compassion of God, the love of God from the cross in caring for his, his mother, uh, and these disciples, this uh, unknown disciple who scholars believe is John. Um, look how compassionate Jesus is. Um, okay. Uh, and then there's another one. Uh, here are these true followers of Jesus. Now you remember there have been lots of disciples, lots of apostles, and most of them have just scattered to the wind. I mean, these guys just don't get it. The, the, the guards and the Roman soldiers have come for Jesus, and they're gone. They're out of there. They went to sleep in the garden, remember? Here, these disciples have gone. Uh, Peter, the rock, Peter, the dumb as a rock, he's not there anymore. Here are these three women disciples. The three Marys, Mary, the mother of Jesus, her cousin Mary, and the other Mary, Mary Magdalene. And then this unknown disciple who we believe to be John. These are the true followers of Jesus. And then, you know, there's this idea of, you know, Jesus is kind of tidying up affairs. I, you know, I don't know if any of you have been by the bedside of those who, who are in the dying process and, you know, slip in and out of, of reality and consciousness and are helping to kind of tie up affairs between their relatives and caring for them. And there's some truth to that. And then there's John, the writer, uh, we believe, of the gospel according to John, this disciple whom Jesus loved. He identifies himself, maybe, in this uh, scripture as being adopted into Jesus' family. And so uh, has a kind of authority to preach and lead in the early church where uh, Peter, the rock, is, is a leader, uh, where James, the, the biological brother of Jesus, is um, a leader. And, you know, that's kind of a cynical way to put it, like, oh, well, now I've got real authority. None of these really... Um, struck me as something worth preaching this morning. So I thought, what is a preacher to do? And so I thought maybe a way to look at this scripture is uh, as if it were on a stage, for those of you who are theatrically minded, or maybe in a, a, a series of shots, a series of screens for others of us. And imagine with me, we walk around in this story, and here is the story of Jesus, his um, trial, 
but it's not a trial. He is judged and sentenced to death without lawful sentencing by the governor, the Roman governor, by the empire. This is, in effect, a lynching. This is a lynch mob by the Romans. James Cone, the uh, author of, of black theology, writes a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree, saying there is a, a lot of similarity between the lynching tree that many black Americans have suffered at the hands of in our country and the cross. And that's interesting. In the background, you see a hill rising as Jesus is made to carry his own uh, torture device, the cross. This oddly shaped hill, it could only be in a, a theatrical scene that is shaped like a skull. Where they go and uh, murder and sentence to capital punishment those uh, criminals and enemies of the state who are going to create political uprisings. That's kind of the thing Rome does. They had, if you know, in a slave rebellion in Italy, uh, in the heart of the Roman Empire around this time, uh, they had a thousand uh, slaves that had rebelled on crosses the entire way into Rome. This is the kind of thing Rome does to prove a point. And so we see here this uh, skull-shaped uh, mountain, this hill, and the cross. And we see this uh, sign being placed, uh, hammered at the top of the cross. And on it is written in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, and Aramaic, this is the king of the Jews, mocking uh, what Jesus' movement is all about, mocking uh, this whole scene, but somehow sounding a note of truth. And as the soldiers stand to the side of this scene, uh, throwing dice to earn the dead man's clothes, because you could sell clothes at that time, you could lend somebody your cloak for a night, for a day, and earn money. As these soldiers are off to the side uh, gambling to earn these dead man's clothes, you can see the scene suddenly move toward the cross. And at its feet are these three women and this one male disciple. And the words from the cross are simply, Woman, here is your son. And to this male disciple, here is your mother. And then the camera scene suddenly refocuses on the cross. It strikes me as powerful in this scene that in the shadow of the cross a whole new family is born beneath the cross of Jesus there is an idea of family that is suddenly expanded to include those that we are not biologically related to 
I mean, this is Jesus we are talking about. The Jesus who in chapter 3, old Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night wondering how uh, can I enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus simply responds, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said, how, how can anybody be born after having grown old? Can one enter the second time into a mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless being born of water and the Spirit. And what does Jesus say in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that everyone, whosoever in your translation might be, who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Whosoever, everyone. This kind of thing makes sense to me as a, a, a part of a foster family. My wife and I have been fostering uh, children this past year and a half. Uh, and it's been really hard. But we were inspired to do this for a lot of reasons. Uh, the, the first church that I got to serve in Nashville, Tennessee, Edge Hill United Methodist, we had, get this, uh, three families, three two mommy families, who each fostered seven or eight children at a time. You knew when they were at church <laughs> or when they were gone. It messes with your worship numbers really badly. And I think of my uh, uncle-in-law, a career Air Force colonel, uh, who later on, after retirement, went on to run all the after-school programs for L.A. school districts out in Los Angeles, uh, who throughout the years... Uh, basically adopted kids that didn't have anywhere else to go and got them into the Air Force Academy. Said he believed in them and fostered a sense of purpose and identity and self-confidence in them. And I just think that if there's anything to church if there's anything to us coming together, to worship together, to be the church together, it has to be that we cultivate an understanding that there is more to family than our biological kin. And I know that some of you talk about this church's family and, and maybe your workplaces and your friends outside there. You have these families you know what I mean. I would encourage you to think deeply as you go about this week about where it is that you can subtly, maybe incrementally, expand your idea of family, even your church family, to include those that may not have a sense of family or connection, because I think that is backed up by the power of the cross here 
2,000 years later, that somehow there is a force at work that connects us all and that is pushing us forward by virtue of our baptism, by water and the Spirit, to expand God's family in this place wherever we go. Thanks be to God. Amen.